these diverse businesses pay $20 million every year for certification only, yeah. right? And wow. I wrote in my blog an address to every single advocacy network that can we forget about 20 million? Can we for one year make it free? Because that would help us put that 20 million back into our communities. Yeah. Not a single one agreed, not a single one made that decision. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground, Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E G-R-O-U-N-D dot I-O. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore in studio today with Chloe Goodry-Reed, and today's episode, we're going to be joined by Mayunk Shah, founder and CEO of Minority Supplier Development UK. Over the last two, ga- two decades, Mayunk has worked passionately to champion supplier diversity in corporate supplier chains and increased utilization of ethnic minority businesses in supply chains. Mayunk founded Minority Supplier Development UK, also known as the MSD UK, in 2006 and is now considered a world leader in supplier diversity advocacy. Welcome to the show, Mayunk. So glad to have you in studio with us today. Yes, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. I am delighted to be here, you know, uh, joining you both. You have been doing absolutely fantastic uh, job of doing this podcast that focuses on uh, breaking barriers. And I think those of, who, those of us who are in supplier diversity, I think constantly that's what we are doing, breaking barriers for underrepresented businesses, uh, giving opening new doors for them. So delighted to be on this podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oftentimes when we think of supplier diversity, I think that, and even, you know, people who have been doing this work for a long time, mostly focused in the U.S. And can you share with us a little bit about, you know, what the current state of supplier diversity is in the U.K.? I think, uh, Chloe, very good question. It has taken me 20 years constantly fighting, breaking those barriers to be here where we are now. We are in a very interesting times when corporations in America have been leaders in supplier diversity, but now we are seeing more and more British and European companies uh, Mm -hmm. waking up to the benefits that supplier diversity brings, not to their business, to the bottom line, but also the impact it makes on the communities they are working with. So, so I think if I just start with take me back to 2002 when I started my PhD, I'm originally born and brought up in India and came to UK as a student in 2002, 2000. And then in 2002, uh, I was uh, selected to do a doctoral research on supplier diversity 
which was funded by local government. And they wanted to look at the American model of uh, supplier diversity, the legacy and the history of supplier diversity programs and wanted me to look at what are the good practices that can be brought to UK to help minority businesses in this country get onto corporate supply chain. Uh, and that led me to U US. And I still remember those, uh, I think it was in September, October of 2002, when I was, uh, I visited a number of US corporations, ended up going to our NMSDC headquarter. And that's where I interviewed Magic Johnson. Uh, no, yes, nice, yes, nice, yes. nice. Uh, and you know, uh, one of the questions I asked him was, and I still remember that, and his, every single word that he, he told me, I asked him, Magic, you know, you are so famous, you can walk into any offices and doors would automatically open for you. So why do you need supplier diversity? You know, why, why, why do you need? And he said, Mike, I'm an entrepreneur and I wear so many hats and any new hat that opens one more door for me, I will wear that hat. And that's why minority businesses. So that was a really good answer. So I think we have come a long way. We are now one of the world leaders when it comes to supplier diversity advocacy networks. What what is different? And, you know, yes, I went to get some good practices that are transferable. Remember, the key difference in the US and UK is that we don't have legislation, we don't have mandate, we don't have public policy to drive supplier diversity. And that's the reason why it has been extremely challenging to convince corporations, both public sector and private sector, to see the benefit of supplier diversity without policy drive. And so it has been a really interesting, but what I have tried to do is try to take all the good things that are happening in US. And if I may say so, I've tried not to take all the bad things that are also happening, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, yeah, I've done the SWOT analysis, I've done all the goods and bads, and then try to get all the good things, but also improvise, improvise, because one thing that I always say to corporations, especially American corporations who are trying to go global is you need to have a global approach. So you should have a global vision, but a local approach. Adaptation to local understanding, really appreciating the difference and different nuances in local cultures is important if you really want to have a truly global program. I think that is what we have tried to do at MST UK, try to improvise, try to think differently, try to think outside the box and yeah. try to make a difference. Wow. That is fantastic. And I like what you said about U.S. companies coming into the global picture, yeah. right? But as soon as you started talking, I have a question I have to ask, right? So oftentimes, Chloe and I get pulled into conversations with people trying to start supplier diversity programs, and they are working for a European company still headquartered in the EU that has now come over to the States. Yeah, And they're like, we just can't get anybody to understand what supplier diversity is, how it should be going, that, you know, they're like, they kind of get it, but they just kind of want to say we have a person in play, but not really a program, right? So how would you counsel, how would you advise Chloe and I to counsel somebody who's trying to start a program in the US, but the company's headquartered in the EU? I think that's a very, very interesting question because so far I have tried to get our first 10 years of MST UK. We mostly had our US companies who understood supplier diversity and they wanted to start globally. And the problem they had was they had no idea of what the local situation is. And they wanted to do the same thing that they had been doing in America. And it was not possible. Right. I think right. 
yeah and the same thing now happens when a european company goes to america we are not used to legislation over here we are not used to mandates over here so for them to easily understand whether it's because it's mandated there's a lot of things that comes along with that package of mandate because you have to have a very stringent reporting mechanism you need to make sure that you have a very good infrastructure built in to develop that program we don't do that over here in in, in europe and the uk it's slowly trying to we are slowly educating corporations to say okay you know what gets measured gets done Absolutely. right right and it's very difficult to convince European and UK companies that, okay, it's good to have a supplier diversity program, but if you don't measure what you're doing, how successful you are, it's not going to be easy for you to make a strong business case for it. And I think that's what you have to educate European companies that, uh, and you have a history and evidence of 50 years of what uh, supplier diversity programs have done. You know, you have research over there done by Hackett Group about, you know, how it impacts the bottom line. Right. Those are the evidence that you need to take to European companies to say, okay, America is a is a country where there's a huge disadvantage and the differentiation between uh, you know minorities and 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 uh, indigenous white population. And this is where you can make a difference. You need to not only have a social case for supplier diversity, but also commercial case where there's a lot of evidence. You know, whether you talk about Johnson Controls, whether you talk about Ford Motors or automotive sector, what they Absolutely. have done, and there is this you know billion dollar round table group is there you know yeah. and those companies are spending more than billion dollars with minority businesses right is a very strong business case for that you know and i think also there's you know a a focus from the eu and the uk because one thing that i you know appreciate what i've seen is that there is more focus on just esg in general as a result yeah. of that diversity has gotten you know part of the forefront of that discussion as they start to look at what does ESG mean for us and what are we doing socially to impact the communities that we have? So I think when we're having conversations as higher ground, they've been easier because they're like, yeah, we're looking at environmental, we're looking at the governance, but we're looking at diversity like we should. And we want to make sure that that is a priority for our organization now. I think you're right, Chloe. And, you know, in fact, uh, in three weeks time, we are organizing a global conference in London over here. And the focus is on ESG and in aligning supplier diversity. Because you are right, you know, if I go back three, four years back, the focus was on sustainability. And in that whole piece of sustainability, it was very difficult to bring in su supplier diversity or diversity element into that or social element to that because it was all about carbon footprint, about environment, uh, you know, etc. But ESG has given, widened that whole uh, debate. It's not only about environment, but it's also about social and it's also about corporate governance. And I think that is where when you talk about social and from my experience, you know, we have seen 300% uh, growth in our corporate membership over the last two years. And the reason for that is, I can't say that's that should be something that should have happened, but the death of uh, the murder of George Floyd, the BLM movement, but also the pandemic, because what pandemic did was brought forward in front of all of us on TV screens, on newspapers, the growing inequality within the society. You know, when you see frontline workers working tirelessly saving lives but how poor they were and how backward they were and, and the condition they were living in i think that changed 
you know i always say you can only do supply diversity if you have convinced both in your heart mm-hmm. and mind yes. you know oh, and nice right and i think yeah. that change of heart corporate heart to say okay we have to do more we can't rely on government to solve our problems we need to contribute and then my sort of understanding of supplier diversity is that what supplier diversity does is it allows procurement organizations to work with entrepreneurs in some of the most disadvantaged communities who are living in those communities and by helping those entrepreneurs grow they are going to create more jobs create more disposable income create better health in this community helping one entrepreneur has a ripple effect throughout the value chain whereas if you just employ someone from a minority community you are just employing you know impacting an individual and that family but helping an entrepreneur you are helping a society you know and i think that sort of realization has come after the pandemic and i think that has changed the heart people were you know talking about it around sustainability that this is a good thing to do but this is the strongest business case and that's why we are seeing that 300% growth that we have seen over the last few years almost 50, 60% of those members are british and european companies which was very rare before that, that is absolutely fascinating but you know i have to go back to a statement you made earlier right you did the swot analysis on the american programs right you brought over the good you left out the bad right and that's something that Chloe and I don't shy away from on this program right uh and that is talking about what are some of the things that we can change what are some of the blind spots maybe that we have because sometimes supplier diversity in the states I'll be honest with you feels like a rinse and repeat exercise right it's like well we did that same thing last year and we're going to do it again this year and we're going to plan for it next year so Tell us, give us the honest SWOT analysis from your perspective on some of the things that maybe we need to think about in our programs over here that we need to start doing differently. So what was, give us a synopsis of some of the <laughs> You are going to make me very infamous with my American friends, you know, if I say it honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, it's not to sit here and, and throw uh, proverbial mud on anybody. No, no, as no, it no, is. no, no, I think no. No, exactly. But we have to be honest with ourselves and realize that our program's not perfect, right? No, I, uh, I think you are right, Adam. And, you know, and I've shared this, uh, my reservations about some of the things that are happening uh, in America, which is, uh, you know, in the supply diversity field, which I, I don't feel comfortable with. And I've been coming to conferences for the last 20 years. I've not missed a single NMSDC conference. I've been to VBank conferences, NGLCC, etc., and everywhere. And one of the things that struck me Im- immediately within first five years is that supplier diversity has moved away from a movement to almost like an industry, very commercial. Ah. Okay. Where, wow. Where everyone is looking for having their brand in front, yeah. throw money on sponsorship. And that struck me and that make me made me very, very, very uncomfortable because I'm a social entrepreneur. And the only thing I'm interested in is if I'm getting money from our members, I want to invest back in supplier development and nice. in minority ah. businesses, right? There you go. That's one thing that I don't feel. Secondly, obsession with certification. Okay, we now just this published that. We're preaching to the choir. You're really yeah, preaching yeah, to the choir. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I think certification should be an enabler and not a barrier. I give you one example. When the pandemic hit, I have been a disruptor in this industry from the very beginning, where 10 years back in 2012, 
I said, I'm not going to charge minority businesses for as a certification fees. I abolished certification fees and I introduced an annual simple one, 300 pounds membership fees that included certification. Uh, but that's so I didn't make certification as the end of supplier diversity. Secondly, when the pandemic hit, the first day I went to my board and I'm thankful to my board. I went to them and say, okay, can we make this membership free for two years for minority businesses so that we, they don't have to pay anything to be part of this network. And within five minutes, so I was, I was asking them to lose the revenue that I was getting from such membership. And within two minutes, I got everyone saying, yes, we are okay. Right. What I did was, and I can send you a link to that blog. I wrote a blog at that time on LinkedIn. I did some research and you won't believe all types of minority businesses, whether women, dis disabled, minority, LGBT. If you look at average membership and the certification fees of various advocacy networks, these diverse businesses pay $20 million every year for certification only. Yeah. Right. And wow. I wrote in my blog an address to every single advocacy network that can we forget about 20 million? Can we for one year make it free? Because that would help us put that 20 million back into our communities. Yeah. Not a single one agreed. Not a single one made that decision. So mm. why should a, dis, a LGBT owned woman and a person of color should pay three different certification fees Absolutely. to just get recognized? Why can't we all come together and make it simple? So I think that's, that's where we have done a lot of work over here. Uh, third thing, and I will stop over there because I can go on and on for all everything that you see. Yeah. <laughs> that could be the entire episode. Yes. Okay. But, <laughs> you know, certification, everyone follows the US policy of, okay, we need to have a site visit. We need to have this, that. It's almost like a military style, you know, operation of certifying a minority business. We are living in a technology digital world. Most of our, some of the biggest businesses are working from co-working spaces, right? Yes, what's the need spaces. of a, What's the need That's of a right. site visit? Yeah, That's okay, we, we did that. But also we are living in a gig economy and how many self-employed freelancers of color are now working with some of the biggest companies and there is no certification for freelancers. Yeah. This September, we are starting the first ever in the world certification of ethnic minority freelancers, and we are making it completely free, and they can do that on a mobile phone. That's smart. Yep. That's something that we're working on here, too, at Higher Ground, um, but we're just doing it here in the U.S., and I can't begin to tell you how difficult the certification process is and how and it just it just baffles me because we are talking about helping some of these businesses who already have challenges, which is why we have these advocacy groups, but yet we're creating additional hurdles and high, high hurdles around yeah. it. And so yes. I think that when we look at the ability to get more businesses certified, you know, it just, that well of certified businesses keep drying up because more and more people keep saying, Either I'm not going to get certified or I've right. been certified and I'm not going to renew my certification. So, because yeah. I just don't see the value in it. So, I applaud you guys for doing this in the UK because you're right. You know, you're absolutely right. You're getting it right. And I'm sure that you're going to see 
tremendous growth on both the supplier and and, and I, I i do one more i had one more thing over here one of the things that i when i keep kept going back to uh, these platforms and networks and conferences in america i kept seeing the same old faces yes that's right? yes oh my goodness yes, yes. Okay. thank you for saying that and i was thinking where is the next generation of entrepreneurs from our community do they know that these platforms and these networks exist what are we doing to reach out to them and we over here in uk since 2017 have been working with over 30 universities across the country to identify young entrepreneurs from minority community who are and we support them we and i have been blessed with some of the us corporations like ey accenture cummins who are supporting us so much investing in some of those young entrepreneurs uh, development programs a pitch competition etc that is giving them a platform to 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 showcase what they can do but also we are helping them uh, to bring their ideas to life by helping them developing programs for them that they will that will help them develop and build a sustainable business so i think those are the kind of things that we do out of you know outside the box or thinking outside the box that is fantastic observations i absolutely love that you know and and that is some of the stuff that chloe and i have talked about and that is the barrier that we put in play called certification right and and i i love that i love that absolute model but one of the things i was thinking as as you were kind of going through that you know when you think about the history of supplier diversity in the us it was started by a, by corporations right who think corporately and i and that's one of the biggest lessons i've been learning over the past few months because i came from corporate america doing 10 years of supplier diversity in corporate america but now i'm working for a small minority owned business and my owner keeps telling me stop thinking corporately stop thinking corporately you're thinking corporately please for the love of everything stop thinking corporately right do you think that some of the hamper do you think we still have some old legacy thinking i feel like we do let me just leave the witness here for a second that we have corporate thought built into the way that we do supplier diversity and we've never pulled it back out but you've been able to come in look at something then look at it from an academic standpoint right a true social entrepreneur standpoint and go yeah we can remodel this talk to me a little bit about that right the 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 genesis between your uk program and the way that it started in the us i think the key difference over here and you you mentioned about your owner asking you to stop thinking like corporate I would say that when I started MST UK and I used to go to any corporate procurement organization departments meet the teams over here and what we call it over I I saw procurement teams in every organization who was male pale and stale <laughs> Okay I am so going to steal that from you thank yeah. you <laughs> Yeah and it was 50 plus white male Mhm who had their own networks every you know yep what i've seen gradually what is refreshingly what i'm seeing is procurement organizations in europe and uk are changing there are more young people in there are more women in there is still lack of diversity mm-hmm. but it's very multicultural so it's very european if you yeah. see a procurement department in uk nice. it's very european you know yeah. people from czechoslovakia from eastern europe western europe northern europe it's very very good gender balance so even more women than men in procurement now and much more younger generation coming in and i think they understand the value of diversity without even being pushed by mandates yeah. right 
Yes. And I think that is changing. As I said, it's changing the mindset. And what pandemic has done changed the heart of the leadership. So I think combining those has helped us drive that supplier diversity. What I don't see in America is that change in procurement organizations. Very, it's very slow. Mm-hmm. That's why when I say I see the same old faces, same old faces. Yep. That's what, you know, in both sides, both minority community and procurement community. I think that is where we are a little bit more advantageous in this, that we are seeing more and more young procurement professional coming who don't have a baggage who don't uh-huh. have that baggage. Yes, yeah. yeah. They want to be mm-hmm. different. They are much more risk takers. You know, they want to take risk to give someone a chance. And I think that is where I see the difference between US and UK. You know, one thing that I, I, I want to sort of demystify is I think that there's also this perception that diversity isn't really a thing in the UK. And talk to us about the diversity landscape. I mean, you shared a little bit before yeah. play, but talk a little bit about what the diversity makeup looks like in the UK and how this is still, diversity is, an, is a concern everywhere across our globe. But I, specifically, I think that there's just this perception that it's not a real thing. I think, see, one of the things that I educate American corporations or anyone who come wants to do global, go global is when you talk about women-owned businesses, woman is a woman is a woman everywhere. So it's very easy to do. <laughs> yeah. Right. But when it comes to minorities, you're talking about different contexts to minorities for each country, different history. So when you come to UK, it's like, for example, if I take comparison between US and UK, in US, you don't have Middle East and Arabs as part of minority group, right? Yeah. Over, over here, the history of UK migra- immigration in UK links back to the colonial rule where mm. British ruled all, over Asia, Africa over two, 200 years. And most of the people who came from those colonies like India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, yes. Sa- yes. you know, uh, Tanzania, Kenya, mm-hmm. we, Caribbean islands, they came over here to work on fields, on farms, on industry, etc. So the history and the legacy of where immigrants have come from is different. And there were so many different waves of immigration that came to UK. But then if you think about France, the minorities are mainly North African because that's where French-speaking African countries were French ruled oh. for so many years. Right. If you go to Netherlands, it's the Dutch ruled Guyana, Suriname, those mm-hmm. countries where the migrants have come from. That understanding of history and why they have come, the reasons, it's very important to build your business case. And I think UK has been at the forefront within the European, overall Europe in diversity because immigrants from India, you know, 40% of our doctors on NHS are from India or Southeast Asia, you know. We have got amazing communities of uh, minorities that have come over here. And I think now, as I speak, more than 20% of UK population is, is of, uh, uh, of people of color. In fact, the city where I am based in living, I was t- talking to Chloe before this was, I'm in, based in Leicester. Leicester uh-huh. became the first majority minority city in this country. Wow. And the reason why it happened was because in 1972, the dictator in Uganda, Idi Amin, kicked out around 32,000 Indians out of that country overnight. 
and Britain asked them to come, open the doors for them because they came, they went to Uganda as a British subject. Ah. And Leicester was the city that opened its door to those 32,000 immigrants that came in 1972. And we are celebrating 50 years of Ugandan Indians in the city. And this has become, I think that currently around 55% of our 300,000 population is of uh, color, but also we just this year launched our operation in six countries in Europe. So we are going to, we are now in France, Sweden, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, and Ireland. And we had to do so much research on what minorities are in those countries, what's their background. And I think it is important for any corporations who want to go global to understand the local nuances and understanding. But to answer your question in UK, Diversity is a big part of our discussion. It's very well embedded. And I think government is also making a lot of changes in public procurement policies to make sure that uh, underrepresented businesses are included in public procurement. That is incredible that you're expanding in this way and that there's this complexity around diversity that I think that we as Americans oftentimes don't realize or appreciate. And it's very, very, very complex. But I think hearing you say that, that, you know, it just brings it into our awareness that diversity and discrimination happens everywhere and that we all need to be advocates at the forefront of this to help our small businesses. And so talk to us a little bit about the work that you actually do around supplier development and you know, what is the day in the life of, of some of these, you know, of your, the work that you're doing and the advocacy work that you guys are doing in the UK? So, as I said, our focus has always been that we not only open doors and give minority businesses opportunity to succeed, but also help them through a number of programs uh, that we do to help them become better business leaders, grow their business, number of programs. So, one of the program that we launched last year is an accelerator for young entrepreneurs, you know, who are into their first five years of their business. Mm -hmm. And the focus of that accelerator is around sustainability. So how can we select businesses that are working within that space of ESG to help them uh, become uh, a much more established business and ready to do business with corporate. So that's one program that we do, which has been funded by Unilever, and, and other companies like Google and, and uh, Dow Chemicals and, uh, and WPP. But also, mm -hmm. uh, we run, you all must have come across the tuck programs that oh, yeah. happen in, yeah? So yeah. We, we are the first organization outside of America that has brought the tuck faculty to partner with a local business school in UK to deliver those programs over in the UK. So the faculty from tuck flies over every year to do that program and that program is open to not only UK minority businesses, but we also get black businesses from South Africa and indigenous businesses from Australia to participate. It's a truly global program. Tuck for the, in the history has gone for the first time to partner with any other international business school to deliver that kind of program. We do that every year. We run a number of procurement masterclasses and and there's another program that is being run over here, which we call Building Business Leaders of the Future program that focuses on not the business dynamics of anyone, but it's more about entrepreneurs. How do we make them ethical leaders, leading with you know, people in mind, trying to have that soft skills development? And you won't believe, but that whole program 
is funded by you know my my and uh, she is you know I, I'm a big fan of uh, Janice Hoyroyd who is uh, from America one of the largest black women entrepreneur in America who has funded that program as part of sort of her legacy so these are the kind of programs that we do uh, but also we are doing a lot of training to our corporate uh, supply diversity professions so we we are we this year set up a center of excellence on supplier in supplier diversity where they get training they get regular training residential programs where we are helping them develop their mindset of how to be more effective when they do their role because believe me only 30% of supplier diversity professions in this country are doing this as a full time role we still have people who just have 10% of the role on supplier diversity so trying to educate them about so so yes there's a lot of lot of in investment that we make in both procurement professionals as well as minority businesses and and you hit on a key thing that we struggle with here in the US too right and that is a lot of the times the supplier diversity professional that you're talking to that's only 10% of their overall job right yeah. and they're not and they're not even measured on that when you look at their year end performance that just happens to be the oh by the way we need you to handle this thing and you don't have them focused on that. And we talk about that a lot and I've heard it from you and that is to do supplier diversity well regardless of which side of the pond we're on, you have to be intentional about everything you're doing. You have to be intentional in your programming, you have to be intentional about the companies you're prospecting um and you can't just have it be something that you handle when you have nothing else on your plate to do. Otherwise the program's going to flounder and really not produce any results. Absolutely and <clears throat> it is very important that uh, companies invest in resources uh, be, to back this program deliver this program and it's very it's very limiting at the moment you know very few companies are doing that uh, and that's that's one thing that we are constantly pushing to our members to to find budget to at least fund a full time resource to support and to deliver supplier diversity programs yeah. right and and then the second part to that is and then getting them to understand how much that resource really costs yeah absolutely. absolutely right yeah that's that's the other fight we're having here is they're like yes we have a full-time resource but you know when you look at what they're paying you know you've got an entry-level person and now in what should be a senior leader level job right and and they're still trying to learn who they are <laughs> let alone yeah. how do you lead an organization and do change management absolutely and i think i think key to a successful supplier diversity and i've i've worked with so many great leaders in this uh, this space but one of the mistakes that a lot of companies are making although they are saying they have a full time resource i say the key to success in this role is how influential they are both internally externally you know if their procurement team doesn't listen to them because they don't have an influence you know uh they are not going to make any difference because how are they going to convince those senior category leaders to think differently and open doors for underrepresented businesses same way so i always say that they need to be a supplier diversity professional a leader needs to be very well networked internally and externally because some of these organizations are massive monster organizations i was talking to a pharma company they said they have got a team of 600 buyers spread all over the world how on earth one person who is managing supplier diversity is going to know and connect with them so we need someone of influence and also leader full backing of leadership that is very important oh one you hit on a key tenant there yes back from leadership but also one of the things that i i 
realize not only influence internally and externally, but they have to understand the business. They have to understand because that's how you influence decisions if you understand what some of these purchasing and procurement opportunities are and how the business operates it's easier to have a discussion with all these category managers but what i see is that they a lot of times are well versed in supplier diversity and well versed externally but may not know all of the business aspects because supplier diversity is so siloed inside of their organization yeah, and, and you know, I, I I totally agree with you because when I go to some of these conferences, we have corporate booths uh-huh. and there's a queue of minority businesses trying to get an appointment or speak to them, right? You have yeah. seen this all along. Of course. And, and they, they reach the front line, the front of the line, and they are said, okay, here is a link to our diversity at this, this, this. Register your business over here, right? Yeah. And minority businesses get so angry and frustrated because, and one of the key reasons is the people who are manning those booths don't know their business, their right. own business, right? right. Because right. that's that's the reason why they are not able to communicate with the minority businesses about where the opportunities are. And I always say that when you bring your teams, uh, the corporations bring their teams to trade shows, uh, they are almost doing that role where they are going to scout for good businesses. Right. But yeah, but you can only you become like a you know a football scout where you're a soccer scout where you're going and finding the right talent here. Yeah? Yeah. But if you don't know what your club wants, how are you going to uh, to find the right business and and then introduce them to the people who matters? Right. right. And that goes back to your earlier comment of the person who does supply diversity has to be very ingrained in whatever firm they're working for to understand yeah. who those players are, who the coaches yeah. are, right? That you're yeah. going to scout for. And then the other thing too is with, and, and this is something that Chloe and I have talked about a lot is the, the idea of a registration portal is not bad. As long as you understand what the end goal of that portal is for your company. Yeah, right? And I've worked yeah. with several firms about that. It's like, you can't just take a registration portal, put your logo on it, throw it out there in the universe and go, Ooh, we have a registration portal. I work with corporates all the time. It's like, what do you want your registration portal to do? And they're like, well, ultimately, we want it to help us, you know, pare down firms that we can actually use. Then I'm like, then ask the questions. Ask those questions in your portal that are specific and intentional towards your organization that help you make decisions on different individuals who want to do business with you and help you kind of weed out the white noise and find those gems in the rough. Right. But you can't just throw a portal out there and say, oh, please register. Put yeah. some intentionality behind it. Use it as a tool to help you do your job better. But I agree with you. But the cookie cutter portals out there, everybody just uses it and goes, that's it. Yeah. Because we go back to an earlier problem. Your supplier diversity manager is only doing this 10% of the time. Yeah. And all they yeah. can do is go, oh, you've got a portal. Turn it on. Good. Okay. I've checked that off my list. Moving on. Yes, absolutely. Right, right. right. So last question for you for today, from just your experience um, coming over to the conferences and everything that you're doing and seeing in the UK and as you expand into the EU, how can the US and the UK really work together to advance supplier diversity as, as and when we go back to this, a movement, a global movement? That's a very good question. This is something very close to my heart. So yeah. Uh, there are only six advocacy organizations in the world that are certifying ethnic minority or minority businesses. NMSDC, MSD UK in UK, uh, 
Canadian Aboriginal Minority Supply Council CAMSI in Canada, yeah. Supply Nation in Australia, working with Indigenous Australian businesses, South Africa, the South African Supplier Diversity Council that uh, certifies Black-owned businesses over there. Uh, and there is an organization in China that has just started, MST China. Now, six, seven years back, I we, we work very closely with uh, all the international partners and we came together to say, okay, we need to, we have so much individual strengths and knowledge that people don't know. Why can't we create something where we share this global knowledge of supplier diversity and also connect minority businesses in these countries to grow, to partner? Yeah. And that's where we set up in 2017 uh, an organization called Global Supplier Diversity Alliance, yeah. G GSDA. And the website is GS gsda.global. It's not a council, it's not a, but it's, a, it's an overarching uh, sort of think tank that is bringing all of us together. And this year, we formally registered that, that organization as a not-for-profit. And next year, we are launching, officially launching that organization and the role of that organization without saying so much because we are having a formal launch uh, in, in our, at our conference in September is to basically uh, research in about supplier diversity, about minority landscape in Latin America, in Asia Pacific, in Africa, mm -hmm. uh, build business case in different countries in those areas and help set up an advocacy network in those, com those countries so that we can build a global network of same level of performance levels of advocacy networks that provide similar services to support and help not only indigenous minority businesses in those countries but also help them connect with each other because Absolutely. personally i think the next phase of growth for minority businesses is going global yes. and if we can all work together to connect them so so at our conference this year we have got minority businesses coming from europe from south africa from australia from america and that's what we need to do so watch out for this space maybe you can invite me when we formally launch the gsta uh, and talk about and we can bring our all international partners together my counterparts we are a big global family and we can talk about what we are doing to change the landscape and open doors for minority businesses all around the world Absolutely. I think that sounds like an amazing proposition, to be honest with yes, you. I love yes, that. We would, I love that. You've given Chloe and I something to talk about now off uh, off mic. So. Brilliant. Well, Mayan, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your insights and, and number one, and all the work that you're doing in the UK to advance supplier equity and inclusion. Um, if there is anything that we can personally do to help you, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. No, thank um, you so much uh, for having me. And, you know, if you can in the blog that or in the podcast that you are working, if you can also uh, support and promote our conference that we are doing in London, uh, which is at a very global level, NMSDC is bringing a delegation. I'm just putting a website address okay. for our conference so you can promote that. That would be really helpful. Yes. And for our listeners who are interested, it is www.msduk.conference.co.uk. Again, that's www.msdukconference.co.uk. Adam and Chloe, thank you for having me. It was wonderful talking, sharing my experience. And uh, I think all of us are doing something common, and which is 
a very purpose-driven mission of, I end with the famous quote from Reverend Jesse Jackson, which says, when everyone is included, everyone wins. Absolutely. It's this quote that I say, you know, rising tides lift all boats and we all just need to collectively be doing our thing. Absolutely. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Gizri Reed and Adam Moore and my young Sean. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcast and check out previous shows. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.